Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group. Security in a multi-cloud world. And for cybersecurity, sometimes it takes a village. It's Thursday, December 22nd, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast, where you'll hear the latest news and trends facing government leaders. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Billy Mitchell. A quick programming note, this will be the last Daily Scoop podcast for 2022. We'll be off next week for the holidays and then be back with a new episode Tuesday, January 3rd. Until then, we wish you and yours happy holidays. Salesforce brings the public sector and customers together in the digital age. To access the new Veteran Mental Health and Resiliency Resources module, go to trailhead.salesforce.com. As organizations across government continue to leverage multi-cloud computing, they are tasked with ensuring the entire enterprise remains secure. In this highlight from the Security Transformation Summit, this is Dave Lago, Department of Justice Chief Information Security Officer Vu Nguyen, and Department of Energy Associate Deputy CIO Tate Jerusi discuss how they're grappling cybersecurity in a multi-cloud world. It's already here, uh, and it's even more so given the big award, the big news last night, which is the joint warfighting uh, cloud capability contract. So uh, what you're going to see is, is it grow even more, right? So, so uh, all it takes is one product manager, right? Uh, and then a use case where they say, okay, I'm better suited for a particular CSP for whatever reason that is, and a budget, and you're going to have it. So, so it is, it is going to happen whether you like it or not, and we have to be prepared for that. And understand that, that there are, there, although they seem, there are similarities, they are not all the same. Uh, they are nuanced, and from a security perspective, we need to understand you know, how to secure them uh, in an automated way. And I'll give you an example. Right, so in one of the cloud providers, you have to go and check a box in order to, uh, to encrypt uh, at rest storage, and in some, you don't, right? So, so there's all these nuances, and that's something that, that we have to learn. You know, if we're going to have multi-cloud, then we have to be operating in a secure way. So um, I would like to add on to that. So I 100% agree, uh, Dave, on that aspect. Um, but with multi-cloud, um, you know, for the most part, uh, all the service, all the cloud service provider provide very similar services. Like you mentioned, like data at rest, uh, encryptions, multi-factor, and but however, they do have their differences, right? And with multi-cloud platform, we can leverage those differences. And as um, mission owner or system owner with multiple options, it gives, us the, it gives us the option to select the best platform that will support our mission needs. And <clears throat> however, the key is that you have to do a cost versus security benefit analysis to ensure that you are selecting the, uh, the right platform or the right um, for, your right, for your environment. Tate, do you have anything to add about uh, why it's important to secure our workloads in a multi-cloud environment? Yeah, I, I would just say, I mean, the, the common thread is, is the data, right? So the, um, I know for energy, our mission and supporting functions and most importantly, the data that underlies all of that is extremely diverse. Um, so having that available in a multi-cloud environment all of the benefits that, that was just mentioned, um, they all each have something that's unique to offer, um, is extremely important and critical. So I'm hearing a common theme here, as well as with the previous speakers, particularly with Dave being very specific about the checkbox. 
um, <laughs> it hits home for me as an engineer. Uh, training, right? There's a lot of training um, that we're going to need to um, to make sure we're doing things in a secure manner. I mean, the default is potentially not encrypted. That, that that's uh, something everybody needs to be aware of. Um, challenges. I think I think that's probably really easy to, to talk about. What are the challenges, not just with making use of um, multiple clouds, you know, for my applications and data, but um, also security associated with, with using multiple clouds. Start with Dave again? Or? All right, sure, Andrew. So, so uh, it's definitely a, a paradigm shift from a security perspective, right? Uh, especially when you're talking about PaaS and SaaS, right? And that's something that, that I think that you're going to see the, the compliance folks and the security folks are kind of evolving on. Right, so, so these are things that, you know, Gartner has a stat, for example, that says, I think it's by 2025, 99% of cloud hacks are from misconfigured resources. Right, so that is a big deal. And traditionally, we think about, you know, the, about STIGs, right? I come from the Department of Defense. So we're thinking about STIGs and operating systems and locking them down, but we're kind of missing the big, the big threat, right? And the classic example that you see all the time is the S3 bucket, right? The public S3 bucket. People are scanning the internet looking for public S3 buckets. And so we have to have automation, and there are, there are tools that come from the cloud providers, they come from SaaS vendors, they come from third party that, that lock all that down, right? And then also you'll have a dashboard that says, almost like high school, you know, what your grade is. And I'm actually seeing for the first time the security compliance, uh, the uh, SCA reps are actually asking uh, for this. So I think you're seeing this kind of transition from the paper driven, which you know, we all loved, uh, to the data-driven approach. Now, now, what we'd like to see down the road would be in lieu of some of the paper. Right now, it's in addition to, but that to me is, is the biggest challenge. So, <clears throat> before I get into the, the technical challenge, uh, there's, one, there's one aspect that I want to emphasize on, and which Katie mentioned in her last uh, uh, presentation, is that the workforce, right? So, with this day and age, finding a person that are specialized in one platform, it's, it's hard enough, but finding in, like, an individual that can, are expert in multiple platforms, it's extremely difficult. And, and without the workforce, we can't really move forward. So to me, the workforce is one of the essential challenges that we, we all deal with to, to some degree. Um, and then moving on to the, the, the technical challenge is that, <clears throat> as we mentioned, right, uh, multiple cloud platform has similar services that they provide, and the ability for us to translate those similar services across the board is another, is another challenge. So for example, like a, a service cloud provider can have easily 100 um, services that they provide, and uh, they all have different terminologies, API, uh, configurations, um, and then those services, they constantly get updates. They constantly have new feature, and they need to be managed somehow and managed across platform. It's, it's, it's another thing. So, you know, bringing all that together on how do we have a common picture across multiple platform is, uh, to me, is one of the key challenges. Tate, I know you actually um, earlier in your career stood up um, the first cloud computing um, department at NABC. So you've seen. <laughs> seeing it take off, um, what's top of mind for you 
um, when it comes to cybersecurity so, when using multiple clouds? Yeah, I, w I would say um, a couple things. From the security compliance piece, certainly the need for the third-party tools, which Dave mentioned. Um, so, and because as an organization, you need that holistic single pane of glass view into your organization, um, which is challenging in a multi-cloud environment. Um, so that from a te technical perspective, um, we already touched on the training. I think that is probably one of the biggest um, with just the federal workforce. Um, I mean, it's a culture shift, right? So it's and establishing that trust um, between the service providers, um, the various integrators you need to move workloads. Um, so I would say um, somehow that shift from being able to go into a data center, touch servers, to seeing everything on a screen. So, so I th think for certain agencies, it's kind of scary just just to put workloads in 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 one cloud, right? Um, so not only do we need to improve on automation and tools um, to help moving things to one cloud, but what's special about um, making use of, of multiple clouds, whether I have something just you know in my private data center and I'm trying to include another public cloud in my, in my architecture, um, how, how, what do we need to make that easier for the, for the departments and agencies to take advantage of all those different resources? Yep. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you're to my left. <laughs> um, so, so why do people choose different, different clouds? I think that you know, it depends on the, the service and the, the use case that they have. I think there's also a, a personal preference Right, that that product the teams may have, uh, it may come down to the, the expertise of the team currently. If you have an AWS team, as as um, as Vu was pointing out, you know you're, they're probably not going to want to start working in Azure, right? So it, it has to do with your your specific circumstance, and then you know one of the things that helps us to adopt multiple clouds is infrastructure as code, right? So that's a big transition. You know we don't want people manually going to the console or the portal. <laughs> and building environments. Uh, I was a product manager for something called DOD Cloud uh, Infrastructure as Code, which is a capability we have, which are templates that build out secure cloud environments, and we did that for AWS and Azure and for Google. And the thought is, instead of you know, having to do this eight-month engineering compliance journey, you know, here are the templates, stand them up, it's gonna take you two hours, and go from there. Um, for me, uh, it's, you know, it's about visibility and data centralization. Um, so you, you, basically it's knowing what you have, right? Um, you know, cloud inventory goes beyond the traditional in inventory that we usually deal with as far as hardware assets, virtual servers, right? Because we have to understand how many containers we have, how many load, balancer, uh, load balancers we have, gateway, network, and serverless function, and it goes on and on and on, right? Um, and the ability is for us to, you know, whether we do it through data integration through um, the, the native tool, the native CSP tool, or third-party solutions, but having the ability to gather comprehensive uh, inventory, understanding what security baseline you have for what environment, 
and so that we can set the benchmark, the security benchmark for our environment. Um, and then, you know, like, like, like Dave has mentioned and Tate has mentioned, right, we have multiple platform, multiple system, multiple uh, configuration, and uh, multiple security baseline. Like bringing all that data in a centralized place so that we can have better visibility, better manage of our environment. And I mean, I think the industry is there, but I think it's, um, you know, this is an area of, of data integration is an area that we can, we can still improve on. Because at the end of the day, when we get all that data back into one place, it, and if we can align it with the organization's governance and risk management program, it, it's the key. It will help us, you know, move forward together as a community. Having a common view and, and right. taking advantage of data from different, different right. places through multiple to platform. secure the exactly. security attack surface. Anything to add, Tate? I, I think they, they covered it, but I mean, I, I do believe having the multi-cloud is extremely beneficial, right? Not only to avoid the vendor lock-in component, but um, sure. but also because they ha each have something so unique to offer, I think the challenge is understanding the requirements um, that goes back to training and, and, um, and to what Vu mentioned before. It's really hard, those people, to really know each platform to the degree that you need to understand. Um, so that's the challenging piece, but it's it's critical, I think, in the way in the way we're doing business now to have the multi multi cloud environment. I think um, we've all kind of said each of the public cloud services looks a little different, feels a little different, workflows different. Um, brings me back to early in my career where I spent some time on standards. Um, I don't know if there are any standards in the works um, or standards that public and private sector could come together to develop to make it easier for the workforce to use these, these different resources or not. I don't know if you're familiar with those. Um, I recently read one of the public cloud providers is wants to standardize logging. Okay, but, but if only the one you know, public cloud service is in charge of that, that doesn't necessarily mean everybody else is gonna follow, so um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I have a couple of thoughts there. So, so your, uh, pre-built connectors, that's an example, right? So, so we don't want, you know, as a you know, uh, IT uh, integrator to have to integrate all these different solutions. We want turnkey connectors that connect up to all the major cloud platforms. You know, I think that's a very important part of it. And then also recommendations from the, the vendors themselves, the cloud providers and others, on how to secure you know, these, these workloads with security policies. Uh, CIS benchmarks come to mind as kind of a, a standard way there. So for me, uh, my, my, my answer is easy, NIST. If you're looking for a standard, that's where I go. That's where you go, <laughs> right, 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 right. We have a zero trust right, architecture right. out um, of NIST. I don't know if there are efforts underway but, uh, for the cloud. But, no, but, but you're right. Um, as far as uh, standards goes, right, like to your point, right, our requirement will, will constantly evolve. And ensuring that, you know, our provider can keep up with that um, uh, evolve of requirements such as log, like you mentioned, standardized logging, right, uh, phishing-resistant MFA, uh, vulnerability enumerations, right. Um, so 
we just we just need to be agile in that perspective as far as like how do we adapt to new requirement as it comes up. Um, but yeah, but this is your short answer. Like FedRAMP and uh, NIST are the standard that you know uh, the government has to uh, uh, comply with. Kate? Yeah, I, I was just gonna say I, I don't know if we're lacking. I think we have enough probably standards and policy and. Um, guidelines, protocols, I think that the challenge is in multi-cloud implementation across so that it's consistent and seamless and um, for the end user it's safe and secure and they feel safe using applications accessing data whenever they need it. So, I think just maybe a, a, a little more common vocabulary <laughs> across the board could be helpful, right, and mm -hmm. um, decrease the ramp up times you know, that would be required for someone to use each of those types of services. Yeah, one more thought on, on standards is, you know, one thing we recognize you know, in the government is that they're gonna move faster than we do. <laughs> so that's one of the challenges. Yeah. You know, we're always gonna be a step behind. They're always gonna be able to innovate faster. Right? So it's a big challenge for us to try to keep up from a standards perspective. True. I, yeah, I hear you. Not, not so easy in the, in the, in the cloud. <laughs> cloud world where people are spinning up, you know, hosts today, a different one tomorrow, and uh, yeah, I hear you. Well, I was, as I was thinking about this session, I was wondering if, if we'd hear a common theme as we uh, discuss the topic today, or if each of you might have something different to say, and I think it, we're, we've got a common theme here, which um, I think means, you know, it's maturing use of cloud, the use of more than one cloud to meet my needs, to meet my budget. I think it, it, is, it is maturing. So with that, anybody else have anything to add? Well, I'll, I'll add to that. So, so, you know, to your point about maturing and people getting more comfortable, right? So, so for example, uh, CSP native firewalls, when people talked about that, they were like, you're going to use a cloud provider firewall? Are you out of your mind? And I think that you know now there's a place for for both. You know, as people are getting more comfortable, also uh, DevSecOps tools, you're seeing more you know reliance on that. Uh, so so I think I agree with you that that it's something that they're getting more comfortable with. I'll also just add, I think, I mean, cloud technology is not new, but for the federal government, I, at least what I've seen um, is I think more of the value is being recognized rather than. The upfront, the uh, the cost eventually will come, hopefully, um, but the scalability, all of the other um, benefits of the cloud, um, make it a little bit easier for people to at least start that that trust and, and willingness to to move workloads over um, to get a to get a start for their organization. Great points, Tate. Thanks. No. Yeah, but from again, from my perspective, I agree with Dave and everything they've said. But you know. There are advantages of cloud, right? So we need to leverage those advantages, and we need to, you know, sometimes it goes back to the organization risk tolerance, right? Uh, risk management. At the end, it's, that's what it comes down to. So you know, we, we it's a delicate balance that we have to yeah. balance between, you know, um, um, risk and uh, mission. So to me, uh, cloud does support that. So you know, so we should leverage that. And with multi-cloud platform, it gives us that tool. You can watch more from the Security Transformation Summit at thedailyscooppodcast.com.
The number one CRM, Salesforce Customer 360 for Public Sector, is an integrated platform for public services. It features relationship management, case management, and lots more. To learn more, go to salesforce.com government. Department of Defense Chief Information Officer John Sherman says a new cybersecurity workforce strategy is on the way in 2023. That cyber workforce will be key in implementing the Pentagon's new Zero Trust strategy. In this highlight from the Security Transformation Summit produced by FedScoop, Army's Director of Cybersecurity and Chief Information Security Officer Jan Norris explains the cyber landscape his organization is managing. As was mentioned, I've been the Army CISO for about four and a half months now, coming out of uh, Hawaii for five years. I'm in short sleeves this morning, used to saying aloha, but not today. <laughs> My first winter in five years, so it's good to be here. Um, I do represent the Army this morning as someone whose job, as you would expect, is to think about how we continue, continually enhance our cybersecurity posture uh, to compete and deter conflict first and foremost, and then to fight and win as the nation requires. And, and when I give talks like this, um, I, I always started uh, in saying that foundationally we don't secure anything in cyber without ta a talented workforce. I know AI and ML, yes, it's evolving, and yes, we need it, but foundationally uh, we, we need talent. And, and I know uh, I'm followed uh, here this morning by a discussion on zero trust, um, and, and we absolutely need talent in, in, in with that. So. Um, so I'm going to talk to you quickly about uh, things that are on my mind, and I certainly don't intend to be cyber 101 in, in the nature when I describe things, but I'm describing you things from my perspective. Some of it may not be new to you, uh, but it, it, uh, I think it's certainly relevant and will reinforce some things that you already know. So let me see if I can get the clicker right here. Let's go. All right. Um, Again, not to insult anyone's intelligence, but uh, I think it's important to have a mental framework or mindset about the space you're trying to protect or secure. Uh, we refer to this as the attack surface. And, and do you even understand the depth and scope of the attack surface you own? And, and, and as is the case in the Army and the other services, uh, maybe you don't own it. Maybe, uh, maybe it's off-prem or, or in the cloud, but you bought insurance on your data and you're not as concerned. I would argue you're always going to be concerned, particularly if you're a CISO. But do we know your attack surface? Um, interestingly enough, I can't see everyone in the room. I am a member of the CISO Exec Forum. Bill Siegland does a great job. We, we have a session about every quarter. And our last uh, session a few weeks ago, the question asked, these are industry government CISOs from, uh, from, from the region, uh, the question was asked, what is your most pressing concern for conducting cybersecurity operations or SecOps? Is it automation, threat hunting, risk-based threat management, knowing your attack surface, or outsourcing? And uh, from that group, about 30, uh, the overwhelming response was knowing your attack surface. Um, What's connected to it? Asset visibility, uh, just one example. And so many times in, in my experience in the Army when we respond to a cyber incident or we seek to remediate a cyber vulnerability, and I could name a number of them, um, is there's this going through the motions of discovery. Um, wh whether it was trying to find a version of SolarWinds installed on an endpoint, you know, we know we purchased 50 licenses, but um, we're just not sure where it's installed or is the endpoint even connected or is it stored away in the container. Uh, so that's one aspect, asset visibility and, and, and having uh, tools that provide 
better asset visibility is, is one aspect of, of the complexity of what I'm talking about here. So, so again, most of you know that classically how it breaks down, physical, logical, social layers. Uh, my assessment from my Army experience is I'm more concerned about the logical and the persona layers than I am about the physical. Most of our threat and security concerns are absolutely centered around people, and, and I, I, I nuance that by saying, yes, external threats, insider threats, uh, but most of the time it's an insider threat, not a malicious threat actor, but someone who's trying to do their job and, and, they, and they do something on our network that, that causes something to be misconfigured. And then it takes us day to sit, days and days to sift through log data to, to, to find the problem and fix it. So that's a concern for me as I, as I look at, at, at the attack surface, internal uh, people and then the logical infrastructure because that, that's, in my experience, where we have most of our problems. Um, now, if a threat actor does penetrate our network, <laughs> most of the damage, as you would expect, would be done either by stealing data or corrupting our, our, our logical infrastructure again. I've got a number of interesting examples, but not enough time. Um, and second big point here in talking about this space or domain is it's ever expanding. You know, to think 30 years ago, uh, and I know an incident, I can just mention briefly with a thermostat, in a, in a military family, Army family's home outside of uh, in Delta Junction, Alaska, outside of Fort Greeley, that was compromised, shutting off the, the heat in the home. Luckily, the, uh, the uh, residents woke up, but this was in January, and within hours, you know, you could understand what the consequences of that may be. So more and more is getting connected, uh, munitions depots, um, uh, a number of things that uh, 30 years ago we didn't have to think about. And so that's part of the complexity of this, as the CISO that I'm, you know, I'm thinking about, and then just the talent, you know, uh, that we need in the future to get after all of this. Uh, let me go forward. Uh, I can talk about threats. I don't think I'm going to tell anything new there. I can talk about the White House exhort. I think that was on the agenda, uh, but I want to. I want to go here because this is probably something you're not as familiar with. And just talk about Army challenges. Um, with regards to cybersecurity. I start, if you look at all the things highlighted in red there, I've already talked about our growing and ever-expanding attack surface, which, which now includes the Army Cloud, for which I just happen to be the authorizing official approving systems. And, and most of our instance of Army Cloud is off-prem in, in two locations. It's either Azure, it's, it's Amazon Web Service. There's other exceptions, but, um, but that's growing and growing and growing. I mentioned asset visibility. We currently have 42 separate Army networks on separate domains uh, at the enterprise and tactical levels, and we are driving towards a unified network and collapsing that down. It's going to take time. And, and I mentioned the weapon systems and operational technology. We're very immature in defining requirements in the realm of operational technology, and I would argue supply chain risk management is another area where we're immature. Uh, and and, and it's, it's logically because these aren't classic endpoint devices, you know. You're connecting sensors and, and IT to, to uh, a munition plant. That's just a very different thing to do and, and it presents different risk. Um, and uh, funding will be coming, absolutely, and, and when we talk about cyber funding, it's not a matter of getting the money. The White House order directed it. It's about spending it on IT security and demonstrating uh, near-term and long-term, how these expenses affect outcomes. And more than just a, a factor of, well, we had zero intrusions or zero breaches, but, but did we 
did the money that we spend did it protect the integrity, the confidentiality, and the availability of our data? I think I think that'll be important in how we measure the outcomes of our investments uh, in cybersecurity. Um, other things like <laughs> which I deal with uh, on a daily basis. Do you have an approved list of hardware software? And and even with an approved list, in my experience in Hawaii, you know, we we, we buy 40 monitors. It was approved. The monitors are delivered. And then I presented a challenge with, hey, sir, we can't install these monitors. I'm like, well, what do you mean? Uh, well, we, we did some assessment. We had the G2 come in, and, and uh, there's some subcomponents. I go, well, yeah, well, it was on the approved list. Well, okay, yep, it was. But uh, again, a challenge as we think about supply chain um, and the risk there. Um, risk management process in the Army and in DOD, I would argue, is very cumbersome and laborious. Uh, in the Army, we've implemented a process called uh, RMF 2.0, which gets after continuous monitoring and penetration testing uh, and a thing called Sentinel Inheritance, where if you have a system you want to connect to the network, um, a new system, and it's categorized very much like an existing system on the network, well, there are controls already in place for that existing system. And if you had 800 controls to account for, if this new system is like the other one, you might be able to inherit a majority of those controls and only focus on the unique controls um, for that new system you want to connect to, reduce the workload, operationalize the process, and, uh, and get after the critical risk. And, and so that's something that's evolving right now. Um, I think just in the last three months, we've 660 systems that Netcom has, uh, has processed through this, this thing called RMF2. Very important for our workforce who spend a lot of time doing this important work to, to make it more efficient and, 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 and comply with all the guidance that and policy we need to comply with. Uh, and finally, the two, the two areas there that I'll highlight just again is talent and, and ensuring as we move forward that we have the talent we need uh, to get after the future. Uh, and, and I can talk about zero trust, but I won't because I think uh, Randy Resnick's gonna do that after me. But I did, I did detail some things here that I won't go into for the sake of time. I'll just come right to the end here and just highlight a few things. Um, you can see some of the skill sets I've listed there. I've personally gone out in the times I've been there with academia and had, and had discussions about zero trust and are there opportunities uh, to, uh, you know, a certificate in zero trust, whatever that is, right? Uh, and just opportunities to upskill our existing workforce. We've done studies in the Army. We're about 80% uh, manned with our cybersecurity positions. And I'm talking ones that are categorized military and GS civilian and contract. Um, so we're not bad on manning. Where we lack, when you look at that existing workforce, we're about 50% deficient on future skill sets that we, we think we'll need. It's just a, you know, in some cases it's a workforce that has legacy skill sets, not the skill sets we need for the future. So, so I'd ask for the, for the industry teammates here to think about what you do in, in the context of what expertise can you provide. When I think about zero trust, I don't think just about the seven pillars and the 45 capabilities and the 150 plus activities uh, only about that. I think about the integration of that because in the Army now and our existing infrastructure, we've done some initial gap analysis that says we're aligned roughly to about 26 of the target 90 activities that you'll hear about. Um, we are roughly aligned in some of those areas, but, um, but we have some capability that actually aligns with your trust. We just need expertise to be able to integrate that all and, and we have some latent capability in some of our infrastructure that if we turn it on or activate it, it will align to some of the things we're trying to get after with our future security framework. 
So again, subject matter experts who understand integration is something uh, we're looking towards as well. Um, and, then, and then, as you'll hear later on Zero Trust capabilities, I, I, and I can assure you uh, the, the strategies out and uh, in my inbox on a given day with a vendor who, um, and again, no, no, uh, yeah, everybody's trying to get after this, but the strategy on the street, so there's not a day that goes by and I'm not getting confronted with a vendor who has a capability. We're very immature in data tagging in the Army, I can tell you, so that's one pillar we, we, we need to get more mature in. We're a little better with user and device. We have ICAM, we have C Comply to Connect and other tools, but in the other pillars, we need to mature a lot more. And of course, it's the Army. We're, we're, we're globally land-based, and we have commands with different tools, and we need to do better on synchronizing all of that. So I don't, I don't know how I'm doing on time now, but, um, but I, I hope I've given you some information that's helpful, and uh, certainly anyone who uh, desires to reach out to me directly with, with anything uh, I've talked about, um, please do. So thank you. Thank you again for your time and for allowing me to speak this morning. You can learn more about DOD Cyber Goals at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you've already rated the podcast on your platform of choice, thanks. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people find it. The Daily Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher help put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. We'll talk to you again in the new year. Until then, I'm your host, Billy Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>